The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. As a hospital chaplain, I have always considered it a profound honor to sit with someone who is dying. The curtain between this side and the next is especially thin at those times, and sometimes the person dying is willing to share aspects of their transition with you. Our guest today, Dr. Barbara Mango, had just such an experience as she helped care for her dying father, and what she learned from that experience has changed her life. Barbara Mango received her M.A. and Ph.D. in metaphysical science. Her doctoral dissertation focused on the spiritual and scientific debate concerning near-death experiences. Barbara researches, writes, and speaks on the near-death experience and the connectivity between the brain and consciousness in addition to related anomalous phenomena. Barbara is a board member of the Past Life Regression Institute, serving in the capacity of near-death researcher. She is a research committee member of the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation and is a collaborative author of the book, The Transformative Power of Near-Death Experiences. Barbara is a passionate believer in the positive transformational power of near-death and related spiritual experiences. Barbara, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee, and thank you for having me today. Oh, it's, it's wonderful that you could be on. Barbara, you've written that about 10 years ago you suffered a severe back injury that turned your life toward a study of the spiritual. And yet, you also wrote that both your parents were originally atheist and you were raised in that background. So, was turning toward metaphysical science and earning a PhD in NDE, in NDE studies a big leap for you in your life? You know, Lee, actually, it wasn't. I felt I was coming back to the um, the essence of who I really was. I had worked with children for, oh, about 17 years. You know what physical demands that requires. So when I was injured, I could no longer be physically active. So I, I really had to think of what I wanted to do with my life. And I began to think about all the experiences I had started to have beginning at the age of two. I've had a lifetime of, you know, extremely spiritually transformative experiences of a myriad of, of kinds. And I thought to myself, you know what? I can't, I can't work at the moment. I can't be physically active, but I can sit here and, um, and really go back to the essence of who I was. And I found a wonderful program in metaphysics at a theological uh, university. I looked through the coursework and I thought, wow, this is, this is coming back to every experience I've ever had. It was sort of coming back full circle. So that's why I decided to pursue it. And of course, when I looked at the coursework, I, I was just getting more and more excited. You know, every course I looked at, I'm like, oh, wow, wow. And it, <laughs> it just, it, I, no, really. I mean, I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to take this. It didn't uh, seem like, like even going to, to, to you, you know, to college, it was like, wow, like checking out a great library book you can't wait to get your hands on. Yes. So that's what. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. So I was I was going to say I was I, I was the same way in seminary and and I got my doctorate in NDE studies so I know exactly what you're talking about. But at growing up, were you debating with your parents all the time about your your perception of the way things really were, or or did you just ignore their atheism? No, I um I was always very different. I was raised in a very liberal Jewish home. However, it really it was. <laughs> actually more socially oriented. I grew up in the Bible Belt in Mm -hmm. the 1960s, which, you know, wasn't very um, Jewish-friendly, so to speak. It was, you know, it was very evangelical, and my parents joined a temple in order for us to to meet, you know, like-minded souls and to form a social group. So I wasn't raised, raised in a religious family, per se, but my parents were. They were complete atheists. But I had... My first, I would call it, um, spiritual experience when I was two, and I remember it as clear today as I did when I was two. And so from the time I was a very small child, I understood, you know, as much as a two-year-old can understand, Mm -hmm. that there was a place beyond our understanding of time and space that existed, and somehow I could connect with it. And my Describe what you saw when you were two. I had, an, well, what my mother termed as an imaginary, uh, you know, friend, playmate. Yes. I had a, a little tea table, little, you know, children's play table, and I used to sit there and have pretend tea parties with my dolls. And one day, a very tall, you know, a two-year-old thinks somebody four feet tall is tall, but I do remember her being unusually tall. A native, a beautiful Native American woman who just sat at my table one day. And I, I thought right away, wait, wow, this is, this is different. She, it was so real, <laughs> you know, realer than real, vividly real. And she hmm. never spoke to me verbally. She spoke to me telepathically. And, but you know what? I didn't even question it. To me, it was the most natural conversation in the world. And she would talk to me. I can't, I wish I remembered. You know, the conversations themselves. I don't. I do remember that they were very, very, very deep. They were very thought-provoking. Obviously not the type of conversation a two-year-old is capable of, you know, <laughs> carrying on with. And it had to do with, you know, the origin of, of the universe, um, of the other side, God, spirit, source, whatever you term you choose, um, cosmos universal knowledge and i i never questioned it i mean i just knew this is how it was and i was lucky i felt lucky as a child lucky enough to to have this experience i remember going to my mother and saying i i called her luli um that i believe her full name in in the native american um language is lulani but i couldn't i couldn't say that so i went into my mom and i said mom I have a friend named Luli who's visiting me, and she's telling me all kinds of, you know, really unbelievable information. And my mom looked at me and said, oh, God, Barbara, you know, you're this is a playmate. Come on. Let's get real. You're imagining <laughs> it. This is a playmate. And, you know, most two-year-olds would probably say, oh, yeah, you know, Mommy, yeah, you're right. Not me. I, I just said to myself, yeah, right, Mom. And um, I just learned, you know, it didn't in any way thwart 
my uh, my vision of what was going on. In fact, it almost strengthened it. Like, you know what? I You don't get it. So what I did was I just stifled myself, which is very hard to do. And from that point onward, I just kept everything to myself, which is hard. Uh, yes. So. Yes, especially with your parents. But they were of such a different frame of mind. Well, m- moving uh, moving ahead, if you would, um, tell us about your father's near-death awareness experiences and how how he changed and how he shared that change with you. Okay. Well, my father was diagnosed with metastatic uh, pancreatic cancer in March uh, 2016. And uh, up until then, he had been a amazingly, you know, uh, active 88 year old and he had never been sick a day in his life. He had never been in the hospital. He had never had an operation. He had all his teeth, you know, the whole bit. So it was, it was a shock to all of us. And he, um, he fought the brave fight. He went through chemo. He went through radiation. And then in, let me see, I believe it was, uh, August, early August, he did, they had done everything for him. They couldn't. He was sent home into hospice at our home uh, to die. And I took that time. I took a leave of absence from my job. I live in Connecticut. So I was constantly flying back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. To to put a framework on this, yes, my father was a very practical man. He, If he saw something, he may or may not believe it. But if he had an experience, he didn't believe it at all. He, I remember growing up, and when we did talk about dying, he would say, there's nothing. There is absolutely nothing. It's, it's not even like dreaming, Barbara, because when you dream, you can see images. It's like being asleep in a deep, dreamless sleep forever, you know? Basically, just throw me in the dirt, and that's it. And hmm. when he came home, I do want to say, because I think this is important, he was not on medication. He wasn't in pain. He was very lucky that way. He really wasn't in pain, and that was a blessing. And he was extremely lucid. He was as lucid as he ever was throughout his entire life. Um, And he started probably about a week or two after he was home. He started sharing experiences with me. I was, he, I, I do have to say this because it, it made it a little difficult for us to have our conversation. His hospital bed was in our family room. Hospice was in the room. My mother was in the room. Any visitors that would come by were in the room. So we're all, there were quite a few people in the room at any given time. And I would, my father would call me over to his bed so I would sit very closely to him. And he began to have, he, he called me over one day, the first experience that he had. I'd just gotten out of bed, and Lee, I'm not a morning person. It's, it's pretty scary to see me in the morning without my coffee. And my father <laughs> still had a pretty powerful voice, and he Barbara, Barbara, get over here now! And grab a pen and a piece of paper. And I'm like stumbling into the room, and he, and he was very, very, very adamant. Very adamant. He said, get the chair over here so I can talk to you. And I never forget, he said, Barbara, take this down verbatim because I don't want to forget anything I'm about to tell you. And he told me that uh, probably about an hour or two before he called me in, he had risen out of his bed 
and he was looking at himself laying in the bed with a being of light. He called it a being of light, uh, a glowing being of light is how he described it. And he and the being of light were looking down upon his body in the bed. Hmm. And the being was telling him that there was a party waiting for him on the other side. And they wanted him to get ready to come to the party. And he unfortunately was not able to attend the party because my mother wasn't willing to go to the party with him. And he was also told to stop giving away his things. And at first I'm like, giving away his things? What? And then I realized, Lee, that people do say that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes before suicide or sometimes before they're dying. You know, they go over their wills. They, they give personal items away. And mm-hmm. after I wrote all that down, I said, Dad, do you mean you actually left your body? I mean, were you were you aware that you left your body? He said, Barbara, I actually floated up to the ceiling above my body, and I was looking down at myself with a glowing being. And I wanted to ask him more questions, like what form did the being have? What did it look like? Did you have a conversation with it? But there were so many people in the room, Lee, and... And he would get tired if he spoke too much. So I, unfortunately, I didn't get to question him more about that. Uh, and I did write it down as he requested. That was the first uh, incident that he he had. Mm. Um, the, the second incident, uh, well, occurrence, it wasn't an incident, occurrence happened when, again, he called me over and he was, his voice was so strong when he would call me over. And he was filled with such clarity and lucidity. It, it, it was amazing. I mean, just completely cognizant. And again, he was not on any medication at this time. He was uh, having engaging conversations about the news and politics. And, you know, I just want to emphasize how, how clear he was at this point. And this time he described again, that I don't believe he was above the bed at this time, but he had a telepathic conversation with, again, what he said, glowing beings. And they told him they were preparing a Jewish ritual cleansing ceremony for him. Okay. And he told me that it was called a mikvah. And my father long, many years ago, was uh, had a bar mitzvah and had to learn to speak Hebrew for this. And I knew no Hebrew. So he didn't know a few words. And I'm like, <laughs> what's that? So he's just like, never, look it up. Never mind. And, and I <laughs> did. We, and it actually means the purification of a male Jew before he's laid to rest and his soul goes on to, to above or, or the other side. And I was thinking, wow. And, the beings, after, he told me the beings actually gave him this ritual bath. They cleansed him. They wrapped him up in a white, you know, uh, not a sheet, but a white linen. And then mm-hmm. they told him again that they had one more step to do in the ritual cleansing, but they couldn't finish it because my mother didn't want to be a part of the cleansing. And mm-hmm. I just took that to mean that my mother, you know, she was having a really hard time with letting my father go. She's also was a mathematician and had a very, you know, left-brained logic and everything. So my mother's very black and white. So either my father was hallucinating or he wasn't. So if he spoke rationally, he was fine. 
but if he spoke in any type of mystical way, then he was hallucinating. So mm. um, he, she just, she not only, he struggled so much, Lee, to try to get her to understand what he was saying in yes. his own language that he was using, but she wasn't able to do that, so he was so frustrated. And also, you know, you know when we're not heard, sometimes we, we just feel not heard how hurtful and, and hard that is for us. So he was just having a very difficult time, and because she wasn't able to hear him and she wasn't able to let go of him, I do believe that's why, once again, the beings weren't able to to finish his cleansing or to take him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was very profound for my father and I. And at that point, I I went over to him and I said, look, Dad, I know that you've been very supportive of me getting my degree, but you've always, you know, kind of poo-pooed what I'm learning and, you know, jokingly, you know, in, in a good-natured, joking sort of way, like, oh, gosh, Barbara, she's, you know, she's a little out there. I said, my daughter, I love her, but she's, you know, a little <laughs> woo-hoo. <laughs> and, so, and, I just, and he is a Barbara, you know, I don't agree with what you study. You know, I'm, I'm proud of you, but I don't agree. So I went over to him and I said, Dad, are you beginning to understand what I've been talking about? You know what he did? He, he winked at me and he goes, yeah. Uh-huh. And for my father, I mean, my father, that's, that's somebody else's version of jumping up and down and screaming, yes, yes, yes. And <laughs> I, I was blown away because, and he, it was just, you know, I, it's so hard to watch a loved one die, as you know. It's just, it's just so incredibly agonizing. However, at the same time, to be able to see this transition, and to be able to share in it, it, it made it, I guess, if you could say, made it less difficult. Do you know what I mean? It just, it helped me get through it. And from that point on, we started having just really open dialogue, um, conversations we were never able to have. He felt safe with me. He felt comfortable with me. He knew I would understand what he was talking about, and I, he knew that I would accept as real whatever he was saying. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to have this wonderful dialogue, sometimes verbally, sometimes telepathically. And through it, I was able to, to forgive him because we had had some, you know, difficulties in the past when I grew up. I was able to totally forgive him. And uh, he was able to share things with me that he had never, I don't know if he had told anyone before. And he started changing. And I do believe, Lee, I do believe these experiences, whether, you know, should they have happened in somebody else, maybe that person would have, uh, you know, been able to change, share, uh, you know, Mellow, share their heart, I don't know, but my father did. It was almost as he was given, um, he started to see things in a different light. And he, my father had been a very angry, passive aggressive person. I don't think he ever told my sister and I once that he loved us in our whole life. He never mm-hmm. hugged us. Very matter of fact. Um, he never shared 
uh, you know, and I know it's kind of a guy thing, but he never shared anything of a personal nature. And my father started, he lost all of his anger. He just, it just dissipated. He became a man of such peace, such peace and such grace and filled with love and constantly was calling me over to his bedside to hug me, to kiss me, to tell me how much he loved me, to tell me how proud he was of me, to talk about peace, to talk about love. Um, and and like I said, to share things with me, he's never, he told me he had never even told my mom some of them. So he completely, completely, completely transformed um, and actually admitted that he believed that there was something after you die and 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 thought his experiences were very real and very beautiful and, and it's just i can't even express in words what it's like to be a part of that transition yes in your in your uh, chapter in the book you say you quote elizabeth kubler ross as saying death is not a medical event death is a spiritual one and so it was a a spiritual event for him and also for you and and uh and he wanted it sounds like he wanted so much to be a part a spiritual one for for your mother as well do you, do you think she understands did she understand after his death more of what uh, had happened there you know unfortunately no she didn't she's she really truly is just a very black a black and white uh, very left left brain and it's it's beyond her understanding to really see the spiritual world, and she hasn't been able to do that. I mean, she's grieved him, she misses him. She still will claim that what he had were hallucinations. It makes mm. me sad. My sister and I are very sad. Uh, it was very frustrating for my father as he was dying. But unfortunately, no. I wish I could say yes, but I have to mm. say no that it hasn't. Um, sadly. Yeah, and, and I did look at his death as a very spiritual event. Again, of course it's physical. But since my father really was not in pain, and I think he's one of the lucky ones because pancreatic cancer usually is a very painful way to go. He, the pain wasn't interfering with his, his spiritual transformation. He was able to just be focused on that. So I did choose those words because in my father's process, that was really what it it was completely centered on was the spiritual mm. aspect. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and since his death, have you had any uh, communication from him? I haven't, and I actually went over to my father, and I held his hand, and I said, "Dad," because we spoke openly of death. He was not afraid at all of time. In fact, he'd say every day he opened his eyes and said, "Wow." I'm here. <laughs> you can't <surprised laughs> opening my eyes. And then he also said, Lee, he said this almost every day. He said, Barbara, it is such a, he would say weird. He said, I don't know how to explain it except weird. He said, I'm hovering between two worlds. He said, I keep leaving my body and going to the other side. And then I come back into this body and have to live in this world. So I said to him, okay, dad, well, I, could you please, could you please, please promise me something? When you finally go to that other side and you're there for good, can you please, please 
gives me a big sign. And it's not, you know, a little sign, a huge resounding sign that, Barbara, I'm here. I'm having a great time. I'm okay. And he said, absolutely. I said, you're going to make it big, right? He said, absolutely. But he hasn't been back to visit me. However, you know, as you know, there really is no time. There's a sense of timelessness. I don't think it doesn't exist, per se, as as we view it here on Earth. So his time, in his time, it could be like, oh, gee, it's been like one second since I left Barbara, where it's actually been, you know, about 16 months here on earthly time. So hopefully he will be. It might be 20 years down the road. <laughs> I'm waiting. It'll it'll happen, I am sure. Um and it might happen to your to your mother, and that would be an interesting event as well. Uh, I wanted Nobody, to ask you also. Yeah. You mentioned in your chapter about the hymn that he that he asked to, to have played uh, and uh, that he sang. Yeah, I found that fascinating. I was on I was departing on a very very early morning flight um, the day I was to leave to fly back to Connecticut for the final time, and I had my suitcase. I already called the taxi. And I was waiting for the taxi, and the hospice nurse it came over to me and, and literally grabbed my arm. I have to tell you something before I leave. And she said, I was not scheduled to be here last night, but the other nurses told me that we thought it was going to be your dad's last night, and I, I just felt a need. I had to come over. So she did. And my father, my, none of us think. I mean, we sound like you know, frogs with laryngitis. So nobody in my family <laughs> thinks. We, we are so non-musical. I mean, so non-musical. And my father, he, so you have a, you know, a basic atheist who never sings, has a terrible voice, isn't interested in music. He evidently, the nurse said that at around midnight, he asked her to play a specific song. Um, actually a Hebrew hymn. And, and she said, what? And he gave her the name of the song, which I unfortunately, she didn't remember. She didn't recall the name of it. But she said she was looking for it on her phone, and she found it. And when she played it for him, she said he put his hands in a prayer position. Again, this is something, you know, atheists don't do. Put his hand in a prayer position, and she said he looked above. He looked straight over his head the entire time. And before he started singing, he said he said he, um, he saw his name written above the bed in gold. And he said he started uh, singing a song. She said every single word was correct in his pronunciation of, of Hebrew, which you know, he really didn't speak, was perfect. And she said, and then the room, it, it the energy changed palpably, and she said the it was just it was sort of like these mystical experiences or transcendent experience where you merge with one, and the, the feeling of love and oneness is so overpowering. You know, it's like people that are in your death, you know, describe their near-death experiences. It just almost brings tears to your eyes. That was the atmosphere in the room. And I wish I had been early. I wish she had actually woken me up to experience it, but I, I didn't. And with, I, I, you know, I wanted to learn a little more about it, and I looked up um, what these these songs, and I'm not, my Hebrew isn't great, so I believe they're called nigun, which are, 
Jewish songs of joy, but what they really mean is they're mystical musical prayers. Uh, and I found that very um, touching and telling as well. Wow. And yeah, and the hospice nurse came to me and said, Barbara, I've been a hospice nurse for 35 years. And she said, we see a lot of things. We experience a lot of things. But she said, I have never been in a hospice setting that everything just seemed to merge with one. And the peace and love in the room was palpable. She said, I started crying. And she said, I think that's why I felt I had to come back to your house last night. And so I, the taxi came shortly afterwards. Of course, I was crying. But to be able to leave on that note, to be able to leave, you know, know that that was, my father was at such peace. Yes. It, it helped what me a, get on the plane. It helped, it helped a, me make the trip home. What a powerful experience. Uh, Barbara, unfortunately, we are, we are out of time for today. And, uh, but my thanks to you for sharing, uh, your father's transformative NDA experience and, and, uh, and, and this, this amazing story about, uh, about his death. So anyway, for our listeners, if you would like to listen to the show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For information on IANDS, check out their website at iands.org. And join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. And this is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>